It was refreshing to walk and to be serenaded by creatures whom you, in your word, says that you provide for. It was great to hear them sing of praise to you in their own individual voices, each bird species having a different tune, and when they're in singing together, it devises a orchestra of praise. And I thank you, God, for this morning, allowing us this privilege to gather here, giving us opportunity to be with friends and family members in Christ, to sing of your greatness, to be again exposed to the joy of all that we have in Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, that your name would be lifted high. We're grateful to be able to pray for individuals who can't be here because of illnesses. Most recently, we remember Rachel Spots recovering from surgery that she had and then her anticipation of meeting with another physician for some further surgeries. I pray, God, that you would guide them. Pray that you would continue to heal Rachel and give her strength. We thank you, Lord, for her and for her family. She has two graduating boys, and Lord, it would be great to, Lord willing, see them next week. But I pray that you would bless her and her family. As well as John Adams, as he's began his routine of radiation treatments. I ask you, Lord, to intervene in his life, to give him strength, to bring about a healing, Lord, that only you can, by your will and for your glory, I pray that you would strengthen him. Watch over he and his wonderful wife, Shirley, as they wait upon you and trust in you and all that they have. May your name, Lord, flow from their lips as they give praise to you. And Lord, I I too ask for individuals that can come and and, and be with us through the, the arena of Facebook or the social media. As they're in their homes, I pray, God, that you would protect them. Thank you for watching over them. Thank you, Lord, for keeping them well. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless them as we stay in contact the best way that we can for your honor and for your glory. And your word this morning, Lord, is is that which draws us here. We want to hear from you. We need to hear from you in these days. We need to be awakened, Lord, to not only the situations of life and our society that face us, but And we need to be made aware of how is it that we, as believer people, how are we to react? What is it that we're responsible for? How is it that we can be lights in darkness? How can we be salt and light? So, Lord, teach us this day from your word. We covet your leading. 
We thank you for your presence. And we ask, O Lord God, that you would be honored in all that we say and do. And we'll be careful to praise you, thank you, in your magnificent name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Brother, come and lead us in a couple more songs, please. If you'd stand as we sing, my hope is in the Lord, and we will follow it up with the chorus, how deep a father's love for us. My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me and paid the price of all my sin at Calvary for me. He died for me. He lives an everlasting life and light. He my own his anger to suppress my only hope is found in Jesus righteousness for me he died for me he lives an everlasting life and light he freely stands before the Father's throne. He shows his wounded hands and names me as his own. For me, he died. For me, he lives an everlasting life and light he has planned it all his mind but to believe and recognize his work of love and Christ receive for me he died for me he lives an everlasting life and life he man up 
upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking boy call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him How many of you are glad that his wounds have paid your ransom? Amen. I could, I could go on preaching like that, but Pastor Doug, he's, he's prepped so hard for this. I want to make sure he has his time. Amen. So songs like that, just they bring a tear to my eye. They bring joy to my heart. I hope that has for you too. I want to add just one more thing onto the, uh, the announcement about next week uh, for those uh, I believe I've been in contact with all families who have graduating uh, student, but just in case we missed anybody, please contact me. Get in touch with me. You can catch me today. Call the church tomorrow would be a good idea, uh, um, and, and we'll, we'll get you involved with that, let you know what's going on. Um, but today, let's uh, get into the Bible. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 today, just the first two verses. Let's read God's word. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you in this time, this morning, together as a church family. Lord, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house, to sing about you and your grace and your love for us, Lord, and and the actions you took on the cross and the action you took to come out of the grave, Lord, to give us a new and fulfilling life with you. Lord, we thank you for the blessings you've bestowed upon us as a church And as each individual families, Lord, and I ask that you would be with each and every one of us this morning as we hear your word preached. Lord, I ask that you would bring calmness to our hearts and peace as we hear what you would have for us, Lord. And that the words would 
just drive us to a new action for our lives. And that we would grow closer to you and that we would grow closer to your son and that we would grow closer to our neighbors around us as we are called to love them, Lord. Lord, I ask that we would be a vision of you on this earth and in our communities and that everything that we would say and do, Lord, that we would remember who we are in light of you. And Lord, I ask for this country as there are so many different things that have us in turmoil, Lord, that uh, those who seek justice would also know to love mercy. And Lord, that those who uh, would question what's going on in this world, that they would find peace and uncertainty. And Lord, that they would find this morning a place that is preaching your word and that they would be able to come closer to you and even know you better. Lord, we ask and pray all these things this morning, that you would be in this service and that you would be with us as we leave, but first and foremost, that you would be with us right now. Lord, be with us this morning and be with us as we go. In your name we pray. Amen. The story is told of an individual by the name of Mr. Yates who owned a farm in Texas many years ago. Depression came and he was having troubles meeting his obligations, specifically with the bank. The bank contacted him and gave him a time of 30 days in order to meet all of his obligations. With three weeks left in the bank's memorial for him, an individual came who was a part of an oil company and asked to, if Mr. Yates would be willing to lease some of his land so they could drill. Mr. Yates recognized the fact that He's about ready to lose his farm, and so he thought, what else do I have to lose? And so he gave permission. He signed the lease for the oil company to start drilling, and as you would realize, they struck a gusher. A gusher that is said to produce 82,000 barrels a day. Mr. Yates became a multi, multi above reproach, millionaire. The question on the table, though, is this. At what point did Mr. Yates become a millionaire? Was it at the time of when the drilling hit the oil? Or was it at the time of when he first purchased the farm? I'm here to tell you this morning, Mr. Yates was a multi, multi, multi-millionaire the moment he bought the farm. The problem was is he didn't know it yet. He didn't know what was underneath the ground. He didn't realize what awaited for him for riches until it was finally tapped into. This morning I want to propose to you a thought. I'm afraid that There are many believers who are living in a depression. A depression not that is caused by external circumstances, 
I'm talking about living in a depression, not really fully understanding or realizing what lies beneath. We're told in Ephesians chapter 1 that in Jesus Christ, once we claim him as our sin bearer, once we trust him as our savior, it says that we are blessed with all of the heavenly blessings. But the problem is, is we have not yet fully accessed all that is there. From last week, we began our study of what it means to have one life under God. And the first statement we saw was in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, where it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things will be added unto you. That was what we needed to do. This morning I want to focus on how are we to do that. The passage that was read for you in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2 gives us three important ingredients to accomplish what it is to live one life under God. It's a very familiar passage. In fact, you've probably heard numerous sermons on this particular two verses. But the question still arises, as some have posed, is why? Why should I be willing to do what Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2 tell me to do what's the motivation behind it is it to get something from God or is it to do something for God what is the motivation that would cause us to take action to those two verses I want to take you back just quickly and and give you a highlights of what the book of Romans is all about. In chapters 1 through chapters 3 of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul lays out for us a very interesting and yet condemning thought. It's this, that if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're lost. It's capsulized in Romans 3 verse 23 where it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Apostle Paul lays out theologically the causes of that particular problem. When you go into chapters 4 and into chapters 5, Paul presents to us the answer to our dilemma. He shares with us Jesus Christ and what he did, what he came to do. In chapter 5, you read that what Adam could not do, Christ did. What Adam did do, Christ undid. I think that's a proper term, isn't it, Paul? Undid, whatever it's. In other words, Jesus Christ is the answer. He gave his life for us. That he would let this wretch be his treasure. 
When you go to verses or chapters 6 through 8, the Apostle Paul introduces for us a helper. His name is Holy Spirit. And so dynamic in chapter 7 that the Apostle Paul shares with us the struggle of his life. That that which he wishes he could do, he finds himself not doing. That which he does not want to do, he finds himself engaged in. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who can separate me? Who can save me from this situation? In chapter 8, verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit. And then when you get into chapters 9 to 11, the Apostle Paul begins to describe for us a spiritual heritage that we have in Jesus Christ. So the motivation comes from realizing what Jesus Christ has done for us. Because I'm going to let you in on a little secret. There's nothing that you can do for yourself. It's only Christ and Christ alone. Thus Paul begins with that wonderful word, therefore. It's there to capture our thought. It's there to stop us so that we can contemplate on what the therefore is therefore. And when Paul has finished laying out for his, for us his, his descriptiveness and, and, and his wonder of who Jesus Christ is, then he says, therefore, therefore I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present yourselves a living sacrifice worthy of worship which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know and understand what is the perfect will of God. We were awakened this week, this past week, to great travesty in our nation. An individual was unfortunately gone beyond the act of duty to cause another individual to die. That is shameful. Justice has been begun on that police officer He was arrested. But I'm here to tell you that all of the actions that proceeded from that were uncalled for. But we find ourselves as a believer, what are we to do during these days? What is our reaction? What words do we have? What should we be saying? What shouldn't we be saying? What should we be doing? What shouldn't we be doing during these days? How is it that we can live one life under God? 
Let me give to you the three ingredients that the Apostle Paul lays out for us to accomplish how is it that we are to live. The first one is this. We are to present our bodies. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it talks about present yourselves or present your bodies as a sacrifice worthy of worship. Now, I want to at least clarify something from this text. The sacrifice that we are to give of ourselves is not for our sin. You can't sacrifice yourself for your sin and live. That's not that the word sacrifice here is talking about. In the Old Testament, there were many different types of sacrifices. There were sacrifices of thanksgiving. There were sacrifices of praise. There were sacrifices of blessings. And yes, there were sacrifices of, for sin. But Jesus Christ became our sacrifice. Paid the debt in full so that we, by grace through faith, can have a wonderful relationship with him. And because of that, the Apostle Paul says, we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice of worship, of praise. That's the focus. It's living a life of praise. But when you stop and think about it, what is it that we are to present? Our bodies. It doesn't say that we are to present our money. It doesn't say that we are to present our homes, our cars. It doesn't say that we are to present even our family members. It says we are to present our bodies. And I struggle with that. Mainly because what does the Lord God want with this? I've seen myself in the mirror. Why does he want this? I got nothing. But then it struck me, the reason he wants our bodies is because if he has our bodies, he has us. And everything about us that makes us us, our emotions, our intellect, our will, our hungers, our thirsts. If he has our bodies, which is the, if you will, the, the temple of who we are, then he has us. And he has everything about us. Other things that we can give to him don't have the same significance as us. A missionary many years ago by the name of David Brenner was a missionary to the American Indian. 
And one day he was preaching, and he noticed that the chief of the tribe had in tow his horse, walking it to David Brenner. And the chief said, I give my horse to God. And then he went and sat down, and David began to preach again. Still under conviction, the the chief rose and gave and took off that which was most precious to him. He took his headdress off and he placed it at the feet of David Brenner and he said, the chief gives his headdress to God. David Brenner continued to preach and it wasn't long after that. That still under heavy conviction, the chief got up one more time and walked to David Brenner and he says, I have nothing else of good to give to God, so I give my body to him. How many horses have we led to God and said, you can have this? Maybe how many headdresses have we removed and said, you can have this. But God wants us. Everything else is pale. Because everything else isn't fully associated with us, but our bodies. The Apostle Paul wants to make sure we understand that it all begins Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, all he wants is us. You, me, and everybody else that we come in contact with. The first step is presenting yourself. The second step the Apostle Paul gives to us is about declaring our allegiance. In verse 2 it says, And be not conformed to this world. He's not talking there about the, the world as far as the stars and the planets and all that is there. He's talking about the world system. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2, verse 11 tells us that we're not to love the world, neither the things of the world. And in fact, that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at. Our allegiance. What is it that we love? We use the word often to describe things as worldly. Well, what does worldly really mean? Because we as believers, we do a lot of the same things that unbelievers do. We own homes, we drive cars, we wear fashion, we have jobs, we work next to them, we rub elbows with them, we shop. So what what do you mean by worldliness? It's all wrapped up into the wonderful truth of where's our allegiance? What do we love? Worldliness is best described this way. It's a system that is telling you what to do in order that you conform to what they want you to do. 
The Apostle Paul and the Apostle John tell us that's not the way it's supposed to be. We are not to be conformed to this world. Conformity is being pressed into a mold that is determined by society. We're not supposed to be that way. We're not supposed to, as believer people, gather and burn buildings. We are not supposed to raise our fists in anger. We're not supposed to love the world system. The Apostle Paul reminds us, don't be conformed to the world system that wants you to conform to them. Be conformed to Jesus Christ. The third and last one is, is this. It's a commitment to action. It says that we are to transform our minds. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you can know what is the perfect will of God. How do we transform our minds? I mean, do we turn into cars and planes as robots? How do we transform? The word transform there is interesting because it describes what happens to a caterpillar. It talks about how in the realm of caterpillaries, I don't know what the formal term of that medical realm or science is, but a caterpillar makes a cocoon. Or I'm sorry, a yeah, a caterpillar makes a cocoon and out of it comes what was already inside of the caterpillar. You can have a wonderful butterfly or you can have a disgusting moth. Depends on what's inside. Sometimes, though, that transformation happens through struggle. An individual recognized on his windowsill that there was a cocoon that was woven. And he watched it for days and then pretty soon he saw it begin to wiggle and he knew that pretty soon what was inside was going to come outside. And he thought the best way to help is that he would go and he would take just a, the slightest of knife and he would just slit that cocoon in order to help that what was inside to get out. And when what was inside got out, it died. Because for the caterpillar to become a butterfly, it must go through a time of struggle. And as it struggles to get out of the cocoon, 
It's giving to itself the ability to live. And when that was taken away, the strength to live faltered. And the butterfly died. Yes, we have storms. We're in the midst of a storm. We're in a position whereby we wonder what in the world is happening. What is this world coming to? And the simple answer is two words. The end. But what is our response? What are we to be as believer people in the midst of the world? We can be in the world, but not of the world. We're in it, dear people. And we have the most glorifying answer to all that is going on around us, and it's in Jesus Christ. But unless we, as believer people, desire and discipline ourselves to live as one life under God, then we will be like that caterpillar and that butterfly. The world will slit our cocoon. And we will come out unprepared for life. So how do we accomplish these things? The Greek word is gymnasium. We translate it discipline. When you go to the gymnasium, it's not about games. It's about work. It's about going through pain. No pain, no gain, they say. It's about preparing your body for an action that is coming up, whether it's in the sports arena, whether it's in some other kind of activity that you're involved with. The gymnasium, the discipline is what gets us through. And the answer to Romans 12, 1 and 2 is the same pages that the verses are written on. It's the word of God. It's a discipline of taking the word of God, described for us in some ways as feasting upon it, spending time in it, meditating on it, praying through it, actively engaging it in our lives, is what will help us to be disciplined. In this time of need. Some of you are sitting there. I know I've wrestled with the same thing. It's hard. When you sit down to have time with God. All of a sudden the phone rings. Can I get an amen? Some That's when the children scream. Can I get an amen? That's when the husband says. What's for breakfast? That's when the wife says. What are you doing today? We get interrupted. It's difficult. 
it is tough. But you can still get water from a well with a bucket that's got all holes in it. You may not get as much as taking a brand new bucket. But you can still go to the well of the word of God, even in the midst of disruptions, and still come away with that that you need for that day. It's discipline. Gymnasium. It's actively meeting God. Why? Because he loves you. And he's done everything for you. And he wants to spend time with you. Give him time. He'll give you power. He'll give you strength. He'll give you understanding. And he'll give to you that which you need for that day. To make it through that day. What is it to live one life under God? Seek Him. Spend time with Him. Next sermon that I preach, it'll be the application of life in those three areas. Let's pray. Father, we've come to the end of me speaking, but I ask that you would continue to talk. That you would reflect in our hearts and in our minds and our lives the truths of your scripture. We are to present ourselves. We are to give you our allegiance. And we are to commit to discipline. Remind us. Encourage us. And strengthen us that we would accomplish that which honors you and will praise you in your name. Amen.